Now this week I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are grateful for your faithfulness. Thank you for living faith. Thank you for the lives that have been touched and impacted by this place. We ask, O oh Lord, that this would just only be the beginning, that we've only scratched the surface. Help us, Lord, to break free from our numbness and help us break free, O oh God, from waiting for something to happen and, and just see that it's happening and jump in and what you're doing. And so, Lord, thank you. Bless this church. Uh, and I pray now as we approach your word that you would open up our understanding, help us comprehend and apply it to our lives. Thank you, Lord, that it will challenge us, convict us, forgive us of our sins, wash us, and fill us with your power. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. And when he, Jesus, had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter you not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. The message I want to share with you this morning is the gospel is war. The gospel is war. Um, this is October. Not only is it our anniversary month, but it's Halloween month. Uh, now, some of, you are, some of you really get excited about fall, and that's a, a spiritual warfare topic all by itself because... There's something demonic about liking cold weather. I just, I just need everybody to know. Come on now. I know some of you love fall. You like your hot drinks and your leaves. Leaves. Um, don't get me wrong. I don't, have a, I don't necessarily have a problem with fall. Fall is just a very confusing season, isn't it? You get up in the morning, it's freezing, so you've got to put on something, and by the afternoon, you're taking it all off, right? You don't know how to dress during the fall. Right? You got, you got like, you got both of your, your closets are like intertwining, aren't they? Like, I should put this away, but it's going to be 40 tomorrow. Then I should put this away, but no, it's going to be 80 the next day. Right? We can't figure it out, but congratulations to all you fall freaks. It's here. (laughs) Summer is over. Leaves change. Trees die. Snow comes. Darkness encroaches. Winter is coming. Um, So here we are. It's Halloween month. And uh, Halloween reminds us of people's fascination with things that are spooky, things that go bump in the night. Some of you are big fans of horror movies. You like to scare yourself to death and then complain. You know, I'm going to go watch a movie, scare myself to death, and make sure everybody keeps every light on the house, in the house on when I get home. Right? You know, and I know that Halloween has some serious implications to it, but, you know, I, I do believe that, uh, I don't think that if anybody, if you want to celebrate Halloween, you've got a skeleton in your window or a witch or something, that doesn't mean you're inviting demons into your house. Uh, I've always been a fan of trick-or-treat. I mean, who's not a fan of candy, right? <laughs> but it does remind us, you know, of creatures, goblins, witches, witchcraft, things of that nature. It reminds us that, in reality, there is a spiritual realm. 
There's a spiritual realm that is actually more real than what we're seeing sitting in these pews here this morning. And we, we forget that lots of times because we are physical people. We operate on a physical plane. We, we operate by what we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we touch, what we smell. We operate on that physical plane. We don't always recognize that behind the scenes there are things happening that are even more important than what we are seeing happening in this temporal plane that we live upon. This spiritual realm has existed, obviously, since the very beginning. If there is a God, then obviously there is a supernatural realm outside of the natural realm that we abide in. So during this time, we do need to remind ourselves of the reality of the spiritual world, and we have to remind ourselves of the seriousness of this reality, the seriousness of the fact that there is a spiritual realm taking place around us. And talking about this subject is always a little bit controversial. Anytime you start talking about angels or demons, anytime you start talking about the devil and God, anytime you start talking about things of this nature, it gets a little controversial because you have some folks out there that go a little too far over into the spookiness of the spiritual warfare realm. Then you have those who deny its very existence. You've got some crazy teachings on spiritual warfare that can identify the demon that is making your toaster act up. I can promise you, you can find an article somewhere online that will tell you that the reason why you stubbed your toe last night is because the devil pushed you into the dresser. Don't get me wrong, he may have, I don't know. But more than likely, you stubbed your toe because it was dark and you forgot the dresser was there. There were some natural things that actually happened. But obviously, a lot of the philosophies of the age that we live in is based on naturalism, which naturalism teaches that the universe is a cosmic accident that has no ultimate purpose, that human life is a biological accident that has no ultimate significance, And that any belief in the supernatural or the existence of a mind or an ultimate spirit or God outside of the physical universe itself is self-deception or it's even childish. It's childish for us to believe in God because we use God to explain things that we don't understand. So you have two ends of this spectrum of those who seem to see a demon behind everything that happens in life that is bad And we have folks that literally deny the existence of anything supernatural. But there is a middle ground, and this is where most people live. Most people live in this middle ground recognizing that there is a spiritual reality. In most cultures that you go into, there is a realization that there is something beyond this physical realm. Now what we do see from the Bible is most definitely a spiritual warfare worldview. The perfect garden was invaded by a malevolent evil force that deceived mankind into sin. God declared in Genesis chapter 3 that the serpent's head would be crushed by the ultimate seed of the woman which was manifested in Jesus Christ. God told Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 that there is coming a seed from your womb that will crush his head and he will bruise his heel. And that seed is Jesus Christ. The war for the hearts, minds, and souls of men have been raging throughout history. And whether we recognize it or not, the real reality is that we are alive in the middle of a cosmic battle. Our communities, our churches, our homes, your very life is a battleground. It's a battleground. Jesus recognized 
and operated in this warfare mentality. Jesus preached a gospel that was in fact a declaration of war. Everywhere Jesus went, he preached the gospel. And not only did he preach the gospel, and not only did he face oppressed people, but he faced the source behind their oppression. Everywhere Jesus went, he did not just go to those who were hurting, but he faced and encountered the source of their hurt. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, the Bible says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and doing what? Healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Jesus knew that the gospel message was the only message that would be the cure for those who were oppressed by the enemy. So where Jesus preached the gospel, warfare followed him. In Luke chapter 4, this is kind of the outline of what the gospel actually is. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus has unrolled the scroll of Isaiah. And he's literally reading from Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, or the year of Jubilee, or the year of freedom. This is the gospel in outline form, ladies and gentlemen. That the gospel was meant for those who are poor, those who are brokenhearted, those who are captives, those who are blind, those who are bruised or oppressed or hopeless and helpless. The gospel is meant for those who are slaves and who need to know what it means to be free. This is the outline of the gospel. It's the message of freedom. Freedom from the bondage of oppression of sin. Freedom from the fear of death. Freedom from the control of the wicked one. Jesus' ministry style, folks, was directed to the broken. The gospel is for the broken. To preach the gospel is to go where the broken are. And the broken exists because the world is lost in the darkness of sin and the influence of the God of this world. So we know that everywhere Jesus went when the gospel was preached... Warfare took place. In the book of Acts, we see that the apostles recognized that the message they preached was a supernatural message and that the actions and the works that they had been called to do were supernatural actions and supernatural works. The gospel was followed by miracles and the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, I want you to notice something, especially in the writings of Paul and when we see in the book of Acts. When the disciples went and preached the gospel... They didn't necessarily go expecting that miracles would happen, but miracles did anyway. Why? Because within the gospel is miracle-working power all by itself. In other words, the disciples didn't go into a situation expecting God to move a certain way. They just went and preached the gospel and left the rest up to the work of the Spirit of God. So there's nothing wrong with us expecting that any time we believe the gospel and any time we proclaim the gospel, that God is going to work in His way and in His timing. And so everywhere they went, we see miracles and manifestations of the Spirit. The healing of the man at the beautiful gate that Dad mentioned here this morning, the healing of the man at the beautiful gate, Peter used it as an illustrated sermon. Peter wasn't going to the, to the beautiful gate to perform a miracle. He was going to pray. Peter wasn't going there to do some type of supernatural event, except that prayer is a supernatural event. 
He wasn't going there to do some type of supernatural work as a show. Look at me, I'm Peter the Evangelist. I'm going to use this guy as, you know, I'm going to use this guy to promote my ministry. You should call me and bring me in for ministry because beautiful gate man. He had no intentions. He just went to pray and there was a guy sitting there. And because the gospel says he can be free. Peter said, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, I don't have anything to give you. I didn't bring my wallet. You ever walked into Kmart? Or Kroger? I didn't bring my wallet. I don't have have any cash, man. Peter said, I don't have any cash, but such as I have, I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the man began to leap and praise God. But Peter, again, did not use that as a reason to promote himself. He used it to illustrate the power of the gospel. He said it was not by us or any works that we have done that you see this man standing before you whole, but because of the name of Jesus Christ. And it is in that name that every knee and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Demons manifested because where the gospel goes, warfare has been declared. You may not know it here this morning, but as we stood in this place and raised our hands in worship, We were in a battle. As we lifted our hands and praised God, we were in a battle. As we've gathered here to testify or to speak of the goodness of God, to talk about the gospel and talk about the word of God, we are literally declaring war on the enemy. See, here in Matthew chapter 10, we see Jesus calling his disciples to go and preach. And what is he preaching? What's he telling them to preach? In verse 7, he tells them to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But how do we know this? How do we see that? Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely give what we have freely received. How do we know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Jesus frames the gospel message in warfare terms. He frames the message in warfare terms. Go and give what I have given to you, and in so doing, you will see the sick healed, the dead raised, the blind will see, you will see the leper cleansed, you will see devils cast out. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, anywhere the gospel goes, you're going to see war. He made them realize that their mission was a supernatural one, and that their message would have supernatural results. Their mission was a supernatural one, and their message would have supernatural results. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, if you look at at the verse prior into this chapter, Jesus went about all the cities, the Bible says, and villages doing what? Teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and doing what? Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. For Jesus, for the apostles, the preaching of the gospel was always mixed with the healing of the sick. The gospel is always meant for the hurting and the broken. It is always meant to be preached with the expectation of a powerful work of God. Miracles, folks, are nothing more than a God invasion into the normal way of doing things. A miracle is nothing more than God reminding us of His sovereign rule over the kingdom of darkness. 
That God is invading our situation, our hurt, our sickness, our pain, our brokenness. That God has stepped into the middle of our mess to make a difference in our lives. And this is the message of the gospel. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out the 70 to preach. And the Bible tells us that they returned to Jesus rejoicing. Why? Because the demons were subject to them in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, of course, reminds them, you don't rejoice over the fact that demons are subject to you. You rejoice over the fact that your name's written in heaven. But the fact of the matter is, the gospel preaching will always stir up the activity of the enemy. So anytime we decide to make a stand on the Word of God, anytime we proclaim the Word of God, anytime we decide to believe what God says in His Word, it is going to stir up the activity of the enemy. Why? Because the gospel is war. The gospel is war. Now, most of us don't like war. Most of us prefer peace. Matter of fact, the Bible says, with all that lies within us, live peaceably with all men. There are a lot of Christians that need to read that passage of Scripture. There are a lot of social media posts that need to read that passage of Scripture. Whatever lies within you, live peaceably with all men. But, Because the world is under the spell of the damage of sin, war has already been declared. War has already been declared. And our war is not against politicians or political parties. Our war is not against corporations or CEOs or co-workers or neighbors or our family. For a matter of fact, our war is not against flesh and blood at all but against principalities and powers that are at work in the fallen world. We need to remind ourselves that when we are face-to-face with people, we are dealing with folks that are created in the image of God. We are dealing with folks for whom Jesus Christ died. And we need to remind ourselves that our battle is not against them. Our battle is against the fallenness of this world as a result of the work of the principalities and powers of the air, as a result of a world that has gone cockeyed because of sin. And the cure to our fallen condition, folks, is the message of the gospel. Listen, I believe in warfare praying. I believe, in, I believe that de- demons and devils can be cast out. But I believe that what cures and what brings hope to our world, what changes the course of, of, our, of history itself is the message, the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The believing of the gospel itself breaks the back of the devil in our lives. For this reason, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. This gospel message is literally able to break chains of sin, chains of addiction, every chain of darkness, every chain of hopelessness. This gospel is able to turn people's hearts around. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the simple story that because of the fall, we are all born sinners, and we are sinners by choice. Because of this, we are rebels at heart. We are strangers We are outsiders. We are enemies of the cross. And because of this, our sin has separated us from God. And we are under his righteous judgment. That's where the gospel starts. But it doesn't end there. 
Our only way to God is through the work of Jesus on the cross and the power of the resurrection. And all who place their trust in the finished work of Christ will by grace through faith be radically saved and transformed into new people. Simply put, sin is the disease and Jesus is the cure. This is the simple heart of the gospel. Now with the gospel, with salvation, with being freed from sin, we have the promises of protection and provision and healing and deliverance and peace and joy, etc., etc., etc. Because we are the people of God, because we are heirs of God and join heirs with Jesus Christ. We are inheritors of the blessings that come as a result of being the children of God. We can rejoice in the fact that God has blessed us and given us blessings. But what we rejoice most about is that the miraculous has already happened in us. That once we were lost, but now we are found. That once we were blind, but now we were see. That once we, we were separated from God, but now we've been made children of God. We can rejoice that we have authority over the kingdom of darkness. But this morning we rejoice that our names are written in heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the message of the cross, the message of the gospel always goes back to this reality. We have been rescued from the enemy's kingdom and translated into the kingdom of God. This is a warfare activity. So to believe the gospel and to proclaim the gospel is literally an act of war. Some of us may not recognize here, but in this room right now, in this sanctuary, there is a war going on for your soul, for your mind. There's a war going on for your family, your marriage, your children. There's a war that's going on right now to convince you that what you're hearing is not truth or not what will set you free. That you can listen to the gospel and let it pass by and it have no effect on your heart. You're wrestling for your soul. And as we talk about this gospel warfare, I just want to point out two things that is the main battleground as we talk about believing and proclaiming the gospel. Because every one of us in this room, we are ambassadors for Christ. And because of that, we have been called to not only believe the gospel, but proclaim it. To, to not only accept the message of the gospel, but to take the reality of that message and share it. To not only experience for our own individual self the life-transforming message that Jesus Christ has died and rose again, but that we take that message and show it to a world that desperately needs that message. So where is this main battle taking place? Number one, it's taking place between truth and deception. See, here's the thing. The gospel message is a very inclusive message with exclusive truths. The gospel is an inclusive message with exclusive truths. What am I saying? The message of God's grace is for all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, whosoever, the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is not slack concerning his promise, as men consider slackness. But he desires all men everywhere to repent. The message is inclusive, but it can only be entered into by believing on Jesus Christ and his work. It's inclusive for all, but it's exclusive on how we get in. That is the truth of the gospel. 
The Word of God is truth, and therefore it carries with it eternal rewards and eternal consequences. Our battle, church, is really over worldviews, philosophies, and belief systems. How people view the world, what people believe, what philosophy or ideology actually motivates them. So our warfare, again, is not against flesh and blood. That's why the Bible tells us that we are to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are tearing down strongholds. What are these strongholds? They are thought processes, worldviews, beliefs. Because what you believe is how you see the world. Even if what you believe is wrong, it will make you see the world wrong. Come on now. You can sincerely believe something and still be sincerely wrong. So our battles against worldviews, philosophies, and belief systems. Now, the Bible is not a political book, but it does speak to political philosophies. It does speak to political ideologies. And that's why people would say, well, when you preach the gospel, you can't mention political subjects. The problem is, is that the gospel has something to say about political ideas. The gospel has something to say. The gospel is not necessarily a book that is meant to be a social movement. But it does speak towards social trends and social or societal sins. In other words, what am I saying? When we preach the gospel every once in a while, it might tread into some areas that offend people. And that's why, you know, it it makes literally no sense for people to say your faith is is a private thing that you experience in your community and locked up in your church. But the problem is this, that the gospel message is never meant to be private. It's always meant to be public. It's a message to an entire world. This gospel message literally changes the world. So that's why I said when people say, well, Mark, you shouldn't talk about political things. And normally I stay away from politics. But there are certain subjects that are not necessarily political. And honestly, if the church doesn't have something to say about political and cultural realities, then the church has become irrelevant. So if we're not able to speak truth on certain subjects when it is biblically necessary, then we have not fulfilled what we've been called to do. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? So that means that we we boldly speak out what we believe God says is sin. And we boldly speak out what we believe God says is righteousness. The Bible, the gospel message is meant to not only proclaim the saving grace of God, but to speak to the false ideas and the worldviews that keep people in bondage. I mean, let's just be honest for a moment. I don't care if you're right-leaning or left-leaning. I don't care if you're Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat. I don't care if you're an Independent. There are some people that are literally in bondage to their political worldview. They cannot see past their political platform that they stand on. And so we have to recognize that if we don't preach gospel, then that's what people... Because we think, there are a lot of people that think that the answer to the ills of the world is more politics. And I believe it's more gospel. I'm not against 
voting. I think we should vote as citizens of the United States. I think we should vote as responsible citizens, as people who are concerned about other people and what direction our country is going in. But at the end of the day, the only thing that changes our world is the truth of the gospel. Because, see, the devil's number one weapon is deception. Because if he can convince us to believe the lie, then truth loses its power. If he can convince us to believe the lies of the world and believe the lies of the worldview, or to believe the lies of people who are antagonistic towards the gospel itself and the message of the gospel, then the truth has already lost its power. And so the enemy will literally use politics, popular opinion, false religions to do what? Deceive and manipulate. Deceive and manipulate. Do you think that the massive division that's taking place in politics does not have at its root a supernatural thing happening? A demonic thing happening? Churches that are splitting? uh, Ministers and pastors that are falling into sin? Do you think that all of this is just happening by chance? Or do we not see the deceptive work of the lies of the enemy behind these things? The preaching of the gospel, folks, is in direct conflict with the lies of the world. And so the message of the gospel is wrestling with our souls against the message of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Whether you like it or not, whether you're bored with what, you're, what you hear me saying or not, right now at this very moment, your soul is wrestling. Your soul is wrestling between truth and falsehood. Between the inclusive message that all can know God and the exclusive message that says you must come by the way of the cross. That repentance is still necessary. That sin still kills. But that Jesus still brings life. It's a, it's a conflict between truth and deception. And secondly, it is a conflict between light and darkness. The world is trapped in a darkness that is sustained by continued sin. And sin is a war on your soul. It affects every area of your life and the lives of those who are around you. It's never popular to talk about sin, but yet we all Nobody wants to talk about sin, but yet we're all susceptible to its trap. And so for us, in any way to take sin lightly is already losing the war. And the gospel does not allow us to take sin lightly. John the Baptist's first message was repent. Jesus Christ's first message was repent. Can anybody guess what the apostles' first message was? Repent. Repent. Change your mind. Change your worldview. Change how you see your sin. Change how you see God. Change how you see the world. Repent. And believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. That is the simple message of freedom. That is the simple message of light versus darkness. But darkness finds its strength in our sin. Darkness fi- and sin finds its strength in darkness. They go together. Jesus said men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. They want to do things in the dark because what does sin do? I mean, what does light do? It exposes. So Jesus is the light of the world, and then by our calling that he's placed upon us, he declares that we are the light of the world. How? By the message of the gospel. 
We're not the light of the world because we've got nice lights on the wall. We're not the light of the world because we've got talents and giftings. We're not the light of the world because we've got an outlet on the front porch and people charge their telephones. <laughs> Y'all may not know that, but Living Faith's the town charging station. There's always somebody on this porch out here charging their cell phone. Not to mention taking pictures of trains. I don't know what's happening out there. But we, we, we're, not, we're not a light because of our giftings or our talents. We're the light of the world because we are carrying the light of the gospel. Jesus is the light of the world. So the message that we preach is that all who will come to Jesus can be saved and therefore know what the light of the world is. The light exposes the works of darkness. And this is why it will fight so ferociously to stomp out the light. We want to stomp out your message. We want to stomp out the gospel. We want to keep you in your corner, Christians. We want to keep you out of the public sphere. We want to keep you out of saying something too loudly. But as Paul said before King Agrippa, he said, King, this thing hasn't been done over in the corner, bro. This thing's spreading around the whole world. And Paul said, I'm still gladly. He said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And part of Paul's testimony is that, yes, the gospel saves. But part of Paul's testimony was, because I believe the gospel, because I believe that there's a conflict between light and darkness, I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been thrown in prison. I've been left for dead. I've been shipwrecked. And here I stand, still preaching that gospel. Man, some of us are backing down from the light of the gospel just because somebody said, hey, you're a meanie. Hey, don't say those things. You're intolerant. Hey, don't say those things. You're a phobe. And we have to realize that darkness will always ferociously try to stomp out light. Sin has darkened the minds of those who do not believe. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, In whom the God of this world, obviously talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest why? The light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. This is a battle for our minds. This is a battle for our souls. This is a supernatural thing that is happening. To believe the gospel and to preach the gospel is a supernatural war. What we believe, now we learned this in our life group last week. I thought this was powerful, so I thought I would share this with you. So if you're not a part of a life group, get in one. Because we're talking about me and my big mouth. Not, well, mine, but yours also. Me and our big mouth. What we believe and how we see things makes sense to us. And I thought that was really just a powerful statement. What we believe and how we see things makes sense to us, doesn't it? Right? If, if it didn't make sense to you, you wouldn't believe it. If you see something a certain way, that obviously makes sense to you. Which means when somebody else comes along and has a different idea or a different thought, that doesn't make any sense to you. You're looking at them like, what's your problem? Right? Because what we believe and how we see things makes sense to us. But I'm adding this. 
If what we believe and how we see things are warped by sin, then we are still trapped in a darkness that we firmly believe is correct. If what we believe and how we see things are warped by sin, then we are still trapped in a darkness that we firmly believe is correct. And the only way out of that is for light to shine. The only way out of that is that the gospel comes to challenge every dark aspect of our lives and release us from its deceptive powers. So that means that even as Christians, we cannot run from the light. That even as the people of God, we cannot allow the we cannot continue to resist the gospel sanctifying us into who God has called us to be. Yes, it begins with believing for salvation. The reason why we can't, literally can't believe for salvation is because our hearts are darkened. This is not a decision in your head. This is a sovereign work of God that takes place in your heart. That's salvation. So in other words, the gospel has to penetrate our darkness to find our lost state. And when that light enters, war has been declared. So as we hear the gospel here this morning, it's warfare. It's warfare. Not just for those of you who may be lost here this morning, those of you who may be away from God or backslidden. The enemy is wrestling for your soul. And it has eternal consequences. But for every child of God, the light of the gospel is still pointing out and pricking and convicting and challenging and convincing. He's pointing out our pride, our selfishness. He's pointing out our, our anger. He's pointing out our lust, our greed, our envy. He is pointing out the fact that you're mean. And that you have problems forgiving people. You have issues with showing love. Spirit of God, and we should take that light seriously because when the light comes on, you have to do something with it. So as I close, we have been invited to believe a message that not only sets us free and makes us right with God, but literally puts us in direct conflict with an evil enemy. And what... what Spiritual warfare in the Bible teaches us is that evil is not some impersonal force. Its source is a personal, evil, malevolent being that the Bible says has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The gospel message is powerful enough to set the captive free, heal the broken, and deliver the oppressed. It is powerful enough to push back lies and darkness with truth and light. And so because of that, folks, we should not be afraid to believe and proclaim the gospel. Why? Because I believe it is our only hope and it is the hope for our nation. So the gospel is war. But I'm grateful this morning that the war has been won. But the message that we are preaching is a warfare message that declares to the kingdom of darkness, you can't have me, you can't have my family, you can't have my church, you can't have my community. I believe that the gospel will reach to the deepest, darkest, most broken and forgotten and forsaken place 
and will pull anyone who will believe out of the miry clay and set their feet on a rock and establish their going. We may have given up on them, but the gospel still declares that the broken can be healed and the lost can still be found. So this is a war. And I pray that you take it seriously and that you consider this morning what wrestling match is taking place for your life this morning. What battle is taking place in your mind that is keeping you trapped in any area of darkness? whether it be sin or discouragement, whether it be depression or hopelessness, where is that darkness trying to take you? And I pray that you would take seriously the power of the light that can set you free here this morning. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, speak. Speak to your people. Speak to everyone in this room today. God, I know that there are folks in here this morning that are wrestling over eternity. Some of them even, they want to be right, but they just don't know how. I know that there are brothers and sisters in Christ in here this morning that have found themselves in a dark place in their life. Whether they got a bad report, or whether they're struggling with depression or discouragement, or whether they've allowed sin to enter in, and maybe their heart has begun to slide backwards. God, there is a wrestling going on for lives here this morning, and I'm asking you, in Jesus' name, you remove every obstacle and hindrance that keeps us from saying yes to the gospel. I'm asking you that you would do something deep in me that could only be done by the supernatural work of God. And I pray that every heart would pray that same prayer here this morning. God, do something in me. Do something in me. If anyone needs a move of God, I do. If anyone needs healing, I do. If anyone needs a revival, I do. May that be our prayer here this morning. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. God, may, us, may we not run from the light, may we not run from truth, but may we throw ourselves wholeheartedly in surrender on the grace of God. That tells us that truth sets us free, that light exposes darkness.